I had a I had a, a player in my last campaign who was a uh, tourist from the Underdark who uh, came up topside in order to uh, explore his palette. Um, so that was really interesting. Wow, I got palette? to throw, yeah his palette like, like, like he, uh, well, his foods his foods, foods yes he was extremely interested stuffs. in in yeah in human yeah, uh, taste, yeah. second breakfasts. <laughs> <laughs> One of the one of the really interesting parts about the Drizzt series, so it's the Drizzt Brain. Drow are uh, dark-skinned elves, and they come from a really violent, uh, really sadistic society. You know, basically like ranking, you know, cutthroat and ranking their sword fighting skills and constantly dueling and but but powerful and magical. And on top of the surface world, they're really discriminated against, and so a lot of the stories are surrounding uh, Drizzt's. Uh, having to deal with that and being ostracized uh, from from normal society, and you know, trying to find his place. Uh, so it would be really interesting to have a drow tourist in his experience. That sounds cool. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, but I think something that's really interesting about it, and it kind of comes up to me when uh, when you talk about uh, these characters, is how when we imagine ourselves being able to tell the stories tell stories from the perspective of these kind of characters and the in these worlds um how quickly like we get back into that almost childlike mindset of like just telling fantastical stories to each other right Mm. and like how easy it is or at least for me i felt like it was surprising when i was describing the quiet year to other people how quickly i could just kind of make up something that happened in that story world like you know i played it once and then i was like and then the ways that they had written the prompt avery elder's uh uh game the quiet year uh the way that that she had written those prompts were just really evocative Mm -hmm. um and the world that it sets up and i think that's really beautiful about kind of giving ourselves the opportunity to be in that kind of uh that kind of um what's the word just like have that experience right of, yeah, like of, it's something yeah. that maybe feels inaccessible as mm, an adult a right. lot of times but like through this medium it like really unlocks that creative side yeah or that type of creativity welcome to dispatches from outcasts conversations from a creative community in this episode, Laura, Brian, Michael, Albert, and Aranea discuss the spectrum of role-playing games and the creativity involved in playing and designing them. I'm Laura. I'm Brian. I'm Michael. I'm Albert. And I'm Aranea. Uh, my name is Arnea, and uh, my experience with role-playing is um, uh, I grew up knowing about D&D, played it a little bit, um, but never any long campaigns, always like one-offs. Mm. Um, and then when uh, I moved to Phoenix, I met this couple... Deanna and Trent, who were also really into games, and they taught me about all of the other kind of um, systems for pen and paper games, like Blades in the Dark, and uh, uh, Fate, and Dread, and other games like that. (laughs) Um, And then when I moved here and I met you guys, I learned more about uh, alternative LARPs that weren't uh, fantasy-themed, which is kind of what I thought 
um, LARPs was for a long time was just basically live action D&D. So when you were playing the other uh, systems, were mm-hmm. they all fantasy? No, also? no, okay. they were. Um, I think one like Dread was uh, both of the games I played were modern day uh, themed. When I played Blades in the Dark, it was more like Victorian era time. Um, Fate, the times I've played Fate has been more fantasy themed, but it hasn't been for, you know, Mm, 100%. So allowing that, um, I don't know, variation. And then when I moved here, I learned that that variation existed within LARP as well. And that basically anything is games. Yeah. (laughs) Everything. Everything's games. Well, my name's Laura, and I've never been recorded before, so there's a first. Woo! I have also never LARPed before, so I'm not very familiar. I've, I guess, done, like, a murder mystery role-playing game Mm. one time, but... I feel like that counts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I don't have much experience, and maybe we'll be asking questions throughout this. I'm Brian, uh, and <clears throat> I played Dungeons and Dragons in middle school with a group of friends, um, and we did it for a, a couple of years, kind of off and on. Uh, you know, now I haven't thought about it for quite a while, um, and we did we did some campaigns, we did some adventures, but I feel like I honestly feel like we spent most of the time either a like designing characters, or I you know I was writing writing stories that you know, we never actually played. Like, I feel like a lot of my time was just spent designing things and then reading the manuals, too. It's just, like, <laughs> such a steep learning curve to be able to figure it out, especially, you know, it seems so complicated as a young, you know, a young little little dude. Uh, but, I mean, you know, we had a bunch of really good memories. Um, I remember we spent a whole afternoon in, like, a marketplace role-playing, <laughs> like, selling things. And then... <laughs> This one, my friend Ed, we just started like killing whoever tried to buy stuff, and we thought it was hilarious. So we just kept doing that over and over again. Ah, uh, twelve-year-olds. Uh, yeah, yeah, twelve-year-olds <laughs> playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, yeah, and so that was fun. And then, you know, I had a roommate who was really into board games, and they got into D and D, uh, and and I would play the NPCs occasionally, and I would watch sometimes, but I never really uh, played. Um, and actually, in college, a uh, summer job that I had, we did a murder mystery dinner. Um, and we all played different characters and tried to figure out the murder. And it was super fun. That was great. It was a great time. Uh, but that, I've never LARPed. Yeah, I, uh, I got into LARP. Uh, I feel like I've done a little bit of LARP and a little bit of tabletop role playing, but none of. I've never played DNT, I think. When I was in middle school, on our car rides, on our carpools to uh, to school, a friend of uh, my neighbor's um, would go with us, and we and he was just like rolling dice on his uh, his TI eighty three, and we and he was telling stories in this like like twenty minute period that it took us to get to school. I think that and that lasted for like a year, and I think that was the extent of it. Um, I remember I have the I feel like. Sometime last year, I like found the old character sheet that I made, that I drew. Oh, wow! <laughs> I was like when I was in middle school, uh, but I don't really, I don't feel like that. I was like super into it. It was something that happened for like a couple months, and 
more recently, as I've been involved in real-world games and live games, I've been exploring these questions of what does it take to make a uh, embodied game experience meaningful? And part of that, I think, is uh, not, not the only answer, but one of the strong answers is about being able to tell strong stories through through our bodies. Like, mm. and and I found um, just kind of reading and thinking about LARP that essentially that's what we're doing. Like, LARP is uh, is theater and play acting without an audience and without a, a kind of commercial oriented performance it's just about mm -hmm. telling stories together and without a design script right yeah usually uh it's just uh yeah like a little less right like i mean even even when you were dming right like and when you've dm'd michael uh you're writing like sort of the broad outline of what's going on but the individuals don't have uh, mm -hmm. a script that they're that they're going and through that's what was mind-bending about it you know is that it's like they're it's totally open-ended like you can go and do anything yeah you know and you just make it up right uh and that's what was really interesting yeah about it to me yeah, yeah for me i think games were exciting because of how players can get a experience of agency making choices and being able to make all these choices that may completely fly in the face of what was planned by the dm in role-playing games is a really uh, exciting idea mm. so as i was exploring live games i also started looking into larp and i've been um I've been involved a little bit in the LARP community, written a couple games, um, and through that played a lot of like, uh, or a handful of indie tabletop games, uh, tabletop role-playing games, which usually are like very systems light, oftentimes uh, uh, don't have a GM, and uh, involve collaborative world and, and character creation in one-shot games. And I think I've been getting just like slightly deeper and deeper each year, <laughs> just getting more involved <laughs> with, it, with the scene. Uh, meeting other uh, people who are making games like this. I think I'm a, a little bit more of a designer than I am a player sometimes, though. Mm. Like, I'm more interested in facilitating than I'm playing, but I'm terrified of DMing, like, a story, uh, like, a, like a tabletop game. Really? Yeah, That's yeah. That's fascinating. I'm like, more, I'm, like, more comfortable facilitating a LARP, I think, than I am with, like, tabletop stuff. That blows my mind. Because, like, the LARPs that I'm talking about are all, like, performance art pieces, you know? Like, they're fairly simple in terms of, like, the setup, and they don't require, like, a... Uh, they're not based on having like a fully fleshed out um, mm -hmm. uh, world that I have to play all the NPCs for <laughs> necessarily. I mean, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm Michael. I've been playing tabletop role playing games for about two years. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons really badly, um, but the source material was too expensive. They didn't ever print paperback books, so I actually ended up playing. Uh, Steve Jackson's GURPS for a little bit, which is uh, a tabletop system that allows for ninjas and mech warriors and isn't isn't always um, <clears throat> based in a fantasy universe like mm. Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder. Or, is that the um, same guy who did Munchkin? Uh, yeah, it is. Um, he's he's made another like a bunch of other beloved uh, board games and, gotcha. and systems. Um, so uh, about. Two years ago, when I started my new job, I found someone in my office who played Dungeons and Dragons, 
and uh, went in and sat on a session and have pretty much been hooked ever since. So I play uh, twice a week for anywhere from three to five hours. Um, and last year I, I uh, created a, a homebrew uh, Dungeons & Dragons module set in the the universe of Faerun that... Uh, uh, try not to break any of the sort of set rules, but um, kind of allowed for me to sort of explore like stereotypical standard fantasy ideas and, and tropes. Mm, nice. I have my first question about role playing games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys have said systems a bunch of times, and mm. how would you define what systems are within this category? Like actual playing games. So when I generally role playing games too, because we're talking Mm -hmm. about tabletop and uh, live action. And LARPs, yeah. yeah. So when I use the term system, like D and D is a system, Fate is a system, Dread is a system. I don't really consider them games. Like D and D isn't a game because you can. I mean, it's a game. Don't just just wait. Just hold your face (laughs) there for a second. Um, Every time you play it. Each game is completely different. Right. So Dungeons & Dragons is a system to help you play games, mm-hmm. like a specific kind of game. Mm-hmm. It's not like Ticket to Ride, where every time you play it, it's the same rules and maybe the same outcome, and like yeah. the only thing that changes is the number of people and the type of people playing. Mm-hmm. Every time you play Dungeons & Dragons, it's completely different. So I look at that as like calling it a system. So the system just encompass the like the general rules for the world in which you're playing. Right, just the like the framework that you use okay. to usually. Uh, I haven't played a lot of other uh, anything really outside the scope of Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder, uh, but in both of those, which are very similar to each other, there's rules that govern the physical world mm-hmm. and the way those things work. Um, so characters. Certain types of characters can move distances that are uh, associated with like their leg length. So a halfling who's only three feet tall uh, can't run as fast in the same amount of time as a human. So they can they can't cover you know quite as much distance on the on the board or in the the theater of mind, whatever way you're playing. So there's the physical rules, and then along with that are the sort of like social and mental aspects of it. That is the role playing component. And so the uh, you have the rules in both of those systems as sort of like a general framework, and then your dungeon master or game master is God and makes the ultimate decisions, or, or rather, uh, or rather decides the outcome based on like a number of factors because you are making the decisions, right? The whole yeah. the whole point mm-hmm. of these games are that you have the most amount of agency and you can do whatever you want within the constraints of the situation at the time, right? Yeah. You're not gonna. So Dungeons and Dragons came as a, like it emerged as a fantasy, a way of creating fantasy war scenarios, um, responding to in like the, uh, the mid 20th century, 
had to math what last <laughs> whatever. Um, when in the in the mid twentieth century, like people were uh, were playing war simulation games where they were like kind of creating miniature battles of wars, and uh, and in those games they were using dice uh, to simulate like uh, just the unpredictability sometimes of like being able to hit your target or for your like horse to get a certain distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they created Dungeons and Dragons, it was kind of to create those kinds of fantasy scenarios, but then it added in all this kind of um, the other aspect that I think is really exciting about fantasy is, uh, or maybe the strongest aspect that is exciting about fantasy stories is the external world that you and the cultures and like the sociology that you're engaging with certain people prefer more of the classic wargaming part and other people prefer more of the social role-playing part that's honestly like what i like quite a bit more i'd say probably about 75 25 like i really like the role-playing uh aspect because you're still there are enough constraints and it's like an accurate enough simulation of what's happening or 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 feels uh enough like it that uh when when things happen it makes sense Mm -hmm. and that's really i think helps preserve that uh suspension of disbelief like more than anything um as soon as that's broken the whole you know it's kind of stops becoming fun yeah um just rolling to kill this monster right and especially waiting your turn to roll to kill the other monster (laughs) yeah i like too that the the source material for for dungeons and dragons especially makes a a number of points about saying that this that the the goal of the game is for everyone to have fun it's not to yeah. stay constrained to this particular you know world and and its rules and that mm-hmm. you can you know bend and and break them a little bit there's a mm-hmm. a concept called the rule of cool uh which um uh, dms use uh to nudge the story in specific directions if they feel like it'll really contribute to mm-hmm. the outcome the tendency to move more towards open uh, games that focus on the, the social aspect, mm-hmm. I think it's not super surprising because moving your little figures around a grid is kind of only fun for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there is a stereotype of role-playing games being a kind of um, uh, exclusive, like very hard to get into, very dense like mechanical system that is really that, that feels... Um, inaccessible for new players and I think the story games that are making really simple systems that don't have to have a GM and are playable in one three hour session are meant to be more accessible for people to get into the role playing aspects Mm -hmm. and in those games often it's just it's about mechanics for telling stories together Um, in which case uh, sometimes it'll just be like when you roll a die it'll just give you a prompt for like what happened like this is the thing that happens now in the world like what do you do you know or what how does your character respond it's a more detailed really complex version of like a small set of game rules i think it's really surprising to me in the last like five years maybe it is a game of thrones thing that like oh for uh, sure yeah that, that people have gotten like really like a lot of adults have gotten into um tabletop role-playing games they've started marketing better to, oh yeah to be honest so. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think that is and and there's a lot of uh there's a lot of popular podcasts and uh you know it's you know like dungeons and dragons is kind of like ubiquitous there's yeah. there's uh, it's associated with nerds 
uh, forever and and always has been in in a large part because of what you said because of uh, like a dense uh, system that that people can really mm. you know bite into. Mm-hmm. Um, they spend all their time studying and 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 you really and you really thing. can. There's really enough source yeah. material like for the Dungeons and Dragons universe that you could just read those books uh, constantly. Yeah. I mean. Mm-hmm. In sixth grade, I carried my DM guide around with me for months. <laughs> and I, there's a when I'm teaching Miss Steger. was like, ah, Dungeon Master. <laughs> I, was, I think I was the only one. That, like, yeah, because I was the one setting things up. Like, it wasn't going to happen unless I set it up, and I wanted to do it. And I, I, was, I was intrigued. I, you know, I originally came across it. There's this, uh, in Ithaca, New York, they have this huge book sale. Um, and that's where my grand, my dad grew up there. My grand, his parents still live there. So we visited, and we kind of made a point to go there. You just get books super, super cheap, and we load up. And they had a section of uh, old like dragon magazines and and original D and D like rule books and stuff. And so just really intrigued. I don't know. My dad knew knew some of the history of the stuff mm. and told me about it, and I thought it was really cool. And just got into it. No one else was really into it, mm. so. I, uh, you know, rounded up my friends, and yeah, so that, that's really why. Yeah, I don't feel like I'm anywhere close to, like, bridging the gap between player and yeah. GM, because I am surrounded by so many people who are willing to GM. Interesting. So. Opposite, yeah. yeah. But I think there is a certain kind of character that get that, like, a certain kind of person mm-hmm. who feels a drive to be a DM, Right? right, like I imagine, and, and and now that we get into this conversation, you know, like I talk about myself being interested in role playing games, but like there is a certain, there's a real big, different kind of world that I that I play in than like mm-hmm. the D and D style um, gaming world, and I think there's like a really interesting, uh, or people who are involved in D and D have their own culture, and it's really interesting to to um, explore that. Like, what do you think is the kind of person who is willing to dm aside from just the fact that like you know it has to happen like they, they want to make sure it happens like um i i mean it the first it takes like a certain level of commitment like you learn that pretty quickly um you also learn pretty quickly how much you need to prepare and what your ability is to improvise uh stories that are meaningful um for me like i just kind of wanted to pay it forward and mm. provide sort of like the same storytelling experience that mm. I got because it was so satisfying and unique. Um, I, I think I played through three games, like full games before I started actually thinking about, about being a, a dungeon master. Um, and for the most part, I don't think there's like a one particular thing that, you know, that, mm. that ties those kinds of people together. I think a lot of times it is completely out of necessity. Just because you really want to do the thing, and right. if you don't do the thing, then, then no one else. Yeah, is if you don't do the work, to. then no one else yeah. is going to do. Yeah. You think yeah. you were you got better at it after no. playing? Uh, I got yeah, I got a little bit better <laughs> like, at the like, improvisation. Yeah, yeah, the improv elements stuff, of like, it mainly because you get like you really do start to develop a clear sense of what the world looks like, and then things sort of start to naturally uh, make make sense. There's all kinds of little tricks too, like for developing NPCs about. Uh, you know the kinds of traits that you assign them the kind of mm. like personality uh, i'm not not personality but like appearance traits that are sort of like most important and that and that inform other things um i learned very quickly that improv is not my skill and so i ended up 
preparing a lot for each of our sessions because mm. each when you're time, a DM. right when I was a DM, because um, if I if I was called to improvise in the in a moment when I wasn't on or I wasn't you know I didn't have a, a clear understanding yeah. of the or a clear impression of the character and and what was gonna gonna maybe happen next or what to kind of like maybe push them towards it sitting down and writing uh things that i would have characters say helped a lot it really helped like ground me in between right even if it's not the thing that the character actually uses right you have a sense of like who that character is and what their voice is Mm -hmm. what about in your own character though like for your your player character when you're playing um how did your level of skill and improv uh, uh, I think it, I think it's improved quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Um, it depends on each character too. Like I felt more comfortable with certain characters than others. I kind of do well with grimy, sleazy mm. characters. Really, mm. I've tried to play um, sort of you know noble uh, mm. bards and paladins. No, I do a lot better with an like uh, like kind of a filthy orc paladin or a um, <laughs> the wizard that I'm playing right now is a lawful evil character and um, none of the other player players know it yet and so I've been I've been also really excited <laughs> I, I'm it makes each session like really really fun um, so it's also really fun to drop little hints in uh, because I have actually taken the time to understand the world that we're in and um, and they haven't and so if like if any of them had sort of you know, even checked some of the places that I've referenced, they might have understood pretty quickly that things are off and that, um, so, I don't know. It, well, it depends. I think it's uh, really interesting to contrast that with how there are many games in the indie scenes that are written, their text is written so that you have, you don't technically have to prepare at all. Like, they're written so that you read the instructions to the players as you set up the game, and you kind of explore it together from there. I mean, usually it's useful to, uh, for a facilitator to have read it all ahead of time and kind of prepare a little bit, but, you know, the texts are shorter. They're, like, they're like 30 pages instead of, like, five volumes. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm thinking about uh, games like, uh, like Fiasco by Jason Morningstar, um, where, so yeah, oh, that, that's a little bit thicker, you know, but it's a really yeah, I mean, beautiful it's... game. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to be like, yeah, the the rules are, I'm thinking like, they have a book, but each book has like 10 scenarios in it, so. Mm-hmm. So the rules of it are like, are like Not 30 pages. Yeah. And, and the rules of it are, are all about how to set up relationships, set up objectives, and set up, um, you know, a, situ- like a, a, a set of situations in the world such that um, certain story beats can happen. In this mm-hmm. game, they are uh, inspired by um, inspired by uh, Coen Brothers movies and other movies where things go horribly wrong. For everybody. Um, for everybody. <laughs> they, uh, they set up the situation so that, you know, everyone wants something that someone else has, mm-hmm. and, uh, and everyone is tied to each other in some way. And then when you roll dice, uh, it works toward the worst thing happening. Or potentially uh, like bad things happening, and then you role play the scenarios wherein those things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the mechanics are all run just by like the way that you, as a group of players, believe the best kind of story will be told. Um, so there's um, something actually that transcends like the individual character in those in uh, the individual like characters. Um, uh, 
um, or the the players playing an individual character. It transcends that, and all the players are kind of gunning for the most interesting uh, story to be told, mm-hmm. and then you play it out as uh, the character that you're you're uh, you've created or you're assigned. Yeah, because when a player isn't in a particular scene, it's played out like a movie where you have like Act One, Act Two, whatever. Um, when a player isn't in, in a particular scene, they can play NPCs. They can uh, oh. choose the dice to decide whether or not the scene ends good or bad. Okay. They can help lead the scene to the most most interesting path, even if they're not in it. Um, what is an NPC? Uh, what does it stand for? Uh, uh, non-player character. Non-player character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <it's laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some of these, some of these, uh, these um, storytelling mechanics are are super fascinating, and they they just kind of they really hone in on that uh, role play aspect, mm-hmm. and and they tend to cut out a lot of the um, the combat and, and physics mechanics. Right, but it's it sounds like it's still. I mean, it sounded like you were starting to describe Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. um, uh, setting up a campaign. Sure, it's, it's important to to establish. Uh, or have the players establish, you know, relationships with each other. Because uh, yeah, that but in, is in what... the game, it, this is written into the game. Right, right So what happens right. is, like, four or five people sit around the table, and the way that the game is structured is you and I have a uh, have a card between us, and this is our relationship. Right. So it's, like, it's, it's uh, the, the setup is a lot more structured, um, and then once you start playing, it's just, like, uh, yeah, how the, how the, uh, the story plays out based on what is, what seems to be most interesting for the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is no, there is no mechanic system, mm-hmm. like, in terms of, uh, physics, right? So, like, no one, no one's fighting each other, um, and rolling dice to figure out what happens. You kind of only roll dice to figure out if, like, something ends well, like, just good or bad, it's almost a coin toss, uh-huh. um, and then, uh, and then you just play that out in improv style. You know. Yeah. Yeah. What uh? What, Ryan? Why haven't you gotten back into it? You seemed like you were, you really loved it when you were playing before. I did. You know, I I have described it as one of those things that I'd do if I had infinite time. Mm. You know, there's yeah. just other stuff that I'd, yeah. I'd want to spend the time on. And you know, that's what I to be a cool game like a little bag you can hop into to freeze time and you can play in the bag, a little role play bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does feel like uh, for me when I think about uh, long campaigns, it's it's hard for me to imagine like being able to schedule anything mm-hmm. regularly too. Yeah, it's never um, worked out for me. Yeah, yeah and committed. Yeah, really committed. And so I'm I'm more attracted, I think, to uh, to like things that are that are quick, right? Um, yeah. that are and, and that are quick to learn. Relatively too. one night. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Can yeah. do Not, in one sitting. Yeah, right, right. right. Not like. Less than an hour. Because oftentimes, like, a, a long D&D campaign will be months, right? Or a mm. short one will be months. No, and I think the, the kind of games that you're describing have a lot of merit because of that barrier to entry. That's why a lot of people who, uh, you know, if they even considered playing something like Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder, l- take a look at the rules and see that, yeah, you have to at least skim... 75 to 100 pages of material to have a good understanding of of mm-hmm. how the game works as a as a whole. It doesn't mean that you can't pick it up at the time, but it's true being able to pick up something that that doesn't have such a, a, a complex com- yeah, yeah complex framework is has a lot of value. Mm-hmm. 
because it's all about people yeah. playing together. Right. You're trying to replicate those same experiences, yeah. and and those games are able to do that. On, yeah. on a, like you were saying, you know, something that's really beautiful about the Dungeons and Dragons systems is that it's about how people having a good time together, and yeah. it's not about like a certain uh, way of winning or a certain a certain goals. And the more access that people can have toward role playing to have a good time together, because it's it's hard. It's yeah. it's very strange when you sit down for the first time, and what other times do you try and embody another person, really, and for extended periods of time, and try and earnestly make choices as them. Yeah, like you're not just acting, you're trying to like move through problems and situations. It's interesting. So I think one of the reasons that, or one of the ways in which role-playing, uh, role-playing games and these kinds of, uh, the genre of games is interesting is because it's this kind of deep reflection of things that we kind of do in our daily lives though, right? Like we do play different versions of ourselves all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's meaningful to, or at least it's meaningful to think about how when we play role-playing games, we are practicing an awareness of playing different versions of people. Um, and if you can take that into into the world, you know, and, and um, recognize the kind of character you're playing, I think that gives you more choice in your daily life too. Um, another friend was talking about how she used to work at a retail store and her one of her uh, she was a manager and one of her employees um was just like really miserable mm-hmm. and she was telling them to just treat it like a role playing game you know like treat it like you're, you're uh, you know if if you have to be in this situation treat it as if um you know you're just spending your day trying to like maximize whatever your uh, your character needs to do and sometimes it's useful to take yourself out of your body, but I think it's practice for that, you know? Like, playing games like this is practice to be able to uh, endure the scenarios that you may need to without, mm-hmm. you know, burning out as, as quickly or while you're trying to figure out a way out. It's and, like dreaming. Sure, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of like a sad interpretation. It's like varying situations you don't actually yeah. have in. But I feel like it's, it could also be helpful in terms of, like, sort of how you're saying that like everyone plays different roles in different situations yeah. um but a lot of that happens like not very consciously yeah but maybe by practicing intentionality in role playing then you yeah you can come back and recognize right. it in yourself when you are playing different roles and then decide if you actually want to be playing that role at that time or not mm-hmm. i think one of the most useful things in a, in a broad way that games can do is is allow you space to practice mm-hmm. Um, and for role playing, some of those skills are um, practicing you know, versions of people. You know, so sometimes you might feel like you know, say you have um, uh, you have anxiety problems when you're when you're meeting new people, and if you have an opportunity to role play as a confident character, you can bring that into uh, into a situation where you know you can you can practice what it might feel like mm-hmm. to and then the things that you might say um, as a confident person and then go into a uh, go into like a party and be like, "I have a thousand gold <laughs> and I want to." <laughs> At the knighted steel sword. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely feel like um, some of the LARPs I've played in the last few months, like Still Life Today and um, Pop by Alex Roberts, uh, 
have both allowed me to explore aspects of my personality. Maybe I'm not super comfortable with dealing on a day-to-day basis. Maybe I don't really like that about myself. Maybe, um, maybe it's just really hard to deal with, but if I put it into a character and I spend an hour or two working through it, at the end of the day, whether or not the character was 100% fictionalized, there's something I've taken from that that I can use in my day-to-day life that I was able to work through that maybe I wouldn't have before. It makes me think of, uh, uh, you know, thinking about my own identity in real life in terms of the character classes of D&D. Actually, this is one thing that came up um, when I was living with a roommate who was playing D&D. And, you know, when I was young, I wanted to be a ranger. You know, it was like they were good at fighting, but like outdoorsy and in the woods. And I thought that was really cool. And, you know, I was like uh, a little bit later uh, than when I was playing, you know, Lord of the Rings came out and Air. I thought Air one was really cool. Mm-hmm. And then kind of as I got older, I realized like I'm not the ranger at all. You know, I'm not a fighter. I'm not good at fighting. I'm kind of outdoorsy, but not good at fighting. And that I, I feel like I, I'm more of the bard. You know, and kind of accepting that. And I thought that was just the lamest class when I was a kid, you know, and I didn't want to be that. But then also kind of coming to accept that. So it's kind of a relationship with my own real identity. I'm trying to wonder, I'm I'm trying to remember if there's like a word for this, but I've been thinking about how it's really important to have memories of times when you feel a certain way in order to enable them in other situations. So more specifically, it's like, if I can remember um, being a child who uh, defied my parents at a certain time, then maybe I'll be able to stand up to my boss better, mm. you know? And and being able to like recount those memories is really important. And I think it's really cool. You know, I think it was interesting that you said a uh, theater of the mind. Is, mm. that a, is that a D&D term or? I don't think it's just a D&D term, okay. but it, it's used in, in... I mean, it refers to a particular type of playstyle that involves no physical representations right. of the physical world. Anyway, right. right. But, so, like, when you have an experience in the theater of their mind, though, like, you can uh, you can imagine yourself into that situation, and then you can remember that, right? Like, you can remember when your character did things a certain way, and I think that's potentially a, a place to bring out um, a... Uh, yeah, a different version of yourself. I mean, I guess actors often talk about how uh, you're not playing different people. You're just playing versions of yourself that mm-hmm. are, you know, suppressed or uh, hidden sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. A reference for a program you can get. Mm. Hmm. That's like, uh, that's like Matrix style. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Run fighting training simulation. <laughs> I know Kung Fu. <laughs> Michael, you want to pick a question? All right. Um, Close your eyes. Still, um, okay. <laughs> pick this one. All right. We all chose different markers. Uh, what is your best idea for an underwater role-playing game? Oh, a prompt. Yeah, now we're now oh. we're gaming. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> now we're making a game. So. I want submersibles. Is it actually underwater, or is it just like the landscape of the game theoretically? It's like. Oh, that's deep. <laughs> I mean, it can go anyway, right? It's tough to be actually underwater. Everyone has to be like a scuba certified. Right. Could be a mermaid. 
Well, I wonder, what is it about being underwater that is different or inaccessible for us when we're above water? I was going to ask like, that Because if we are imagining ourselves into this world, right? Like, mm -hmm. let's imagine, like, what what does a player have? I think, like, there's this, the incredible, like, biodiversity, mm -hmm. like, seems really meaningful, which is, like, an even, like, bigger explosion over, like, all the different kind of races and character types and stuff that you can play in uh, in in D&D style games. Mm -hmm. There's also the real world existence of creatures so much bigger than Scales, us. Scales, yeah. You know, and in, and I, I feel like in D and D, like you, you basically just have dragons. I don't know, like there's no, this is like humans well, and dungeons, humans and, dragons. and like, you know, things like humans, like, yeah, yeah, like human, human, human whatever, humanoid, size, humanoid yeah. type things. Cool. Also, yeah. sort of like humans, yeah. yeah. Giants, um, kind of like humans. So like under, yeah. <laughs> so like underwater, Wizards. you have the capacity for like. Whales yeah. and giant squids and yeah. the kraken and, and the little tiny guys. yeah, those super tiny guys. Yeah, and like uh, like uh, eldritch horrors that arise from the deep. Yep. The anglerfish. Yeah. Oh. The ones with the the ones with the sticks and like the males right. are like the yeah, little yeah, ones. They're, they're like yeah, parasites. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wake up with a smell and then they like try to find that and that's their whole life. And once they find it, they just like oh, claw man. onto the female. And yeah, I feel like that would be an amazing like uh, like black box larp. <laughs> Yeah. What's a black box larp? A black box larp is a certain uh, style of larp that ten that uh, uses black box theater uh, tech to accentuate the experience without a, with a tendency to have less uh, less immersive props and setting. Uh, so they'll use a lot of lighting and sound um, as the tech, but then you're in a black box like a black mm -hmm. box theater scenario or just like a room. Gotcha. Um, and That's cool. so I, I can know. imagine a game where like you're playing uh, male angler fishes, like <laughs> searching for uh, searching for a female to mate with, but you're like just in the dark. Yeah. And you're and like occasionally like a light just like shows. Oh like, wow. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. The other thing about an underwater game is like movement. Like moving through water is a lot different than moving through air, and mm -hmm. like, sound and light all works differently. Yeah. And you're like maybe more susceptible to like currents and things. Yeah. Which would just like I don't know what that would affect, but no, like everything's a lot more muted. You're right. When you are, when you were playing, um, or when you were and when you are playing uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, like kind of a, uh, world heavy games, do they have a lot of travel mechanics and like, or have you in, uh, used a lot of travel mechanics and how like the world affects the characters out of combat? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it usually it's up to the DM's discretion because there are a lot of different mechanics. Um, in those games for traveling, traveling in certain types of comfort, uh, fixing things that get broken, feeding yourself, feeding others, sleeping, right? Yeah. Sleeping is a big part of both of those, yeah. uh, both of those systems. Mm -hmm. You have to sleep, uh, and the world's brutal. You only, you only heal a little bit every night when you sleep, like in Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. You really have to find time to rest. Right, that was one thing about DJ. I feel like you, the early levels of a character, you just so many of them die. Right, know, first so, level blues. Yeah, is yeah. that what it is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was so hard. Once you get like level three, 
you know, then you start to, you can survive a little bit more, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's just so easy to die. And right. it's like, it takes so much to create a character. Right, you know? right. And that's, that's another aspect that I really like is uh, permadeath, right? So when your character dies, that's it. It, when, in what systems do you not have permadeath, or what are you comparing it to? I don't. I guess a video game, right? Yeah. Like where you have ninety-eight other yeah, Mario's yeah. that you yeah. can just keep churning out. Uh, <laughs> when your when your character goes down, uh, that's it. Their mm-hmm. story's over. Mm-hmm. And I've always really appreciated that that mm-hmm. aspect of of, of uh, like the high stakes of the kind of game. right. Exactly. Uh, I was asking about the uh, travel mechanics though, because I was thinking about like an underwater game, like to kind of write. Uh, travel mechanics and mm-hmm. how like and, and movement mechanics for for a space like that. It's kind of like you know like a Nemo style thing. There's you know like a turtle, yeah. turtle train, turtle subway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could like uh, you could write a Finding Nemo role playing game. <laughs> That's it. That's the best idea. <laughs> Go find Nemo. Yeah. Sorry, uh, Mino. Mino. Yeah, yes. we're not we're, we're not infringing on right. anything. Nope. Nemo. Seeking Mino. Mino. Yes. <laughs> uh, wrote a story very similar to Finding Nemo and then mailed it into Disney and had correspondence. And then years later, they told them they weren't interested. Years later, Finding Nemo came out and he sued them. What? Yeah. You really? Dr. Sternberg. Did he? Did he? Did they settle? Oh God! Did he win? No, no. Damn it, Disney! They just yeah, they just drained his his lawyer account or whatever. Yeah, it's crazy. And that was the thing. So we saw the movie. Like he is, he's super into environmental preservation. Like ocean, you know, ocean up and he helped pass some of the legislation for that. Uh, that. And he's a dentist. Yeah, so he's a dentist. And there is a dentist. So we see that, that dentist. That's River. So like he has posters of like whales and stuff. He's got fish tanks in his office. Like he's totally accessible. Like, Did your dentist save a clownfish? I don't know. I don't I save quote unquote. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we found Mino. <laughs> Okay, okay. Wow. Side story. Yeah. So wow. we were like, man, that, that dentist in Finding Nemo. It's like reminded us of you. And he's like, yeah, I wrote the story. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, wow. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy side story. I think uh, one of the things that is exciting to me about the indie scene too, and these like smaller games, is how ex- uh, is it also makes it really accessible to for, for designers. Like, it's really hard to imagine myself writing anything that's like you know the uh, the level of complexity of uh, of a D and D kind of game. Uh, but I I think like it's really fun to ideate on writing a underwater game and writing like uh, and, and weird games like being rocks you know like these are things that I think are really worthwhile ideas um, not because they come from me but, <laughs> but because ideas are worthwhile to manifest in different ways um, and and to create like for there to, to be a community that exists that is uh, that is encouraging this kind of stuff. Um, more designers and, and more stories and more voices for uh, for the kinds of stories that can be told and not just these specific uh, stories that are told you know the varied uh, specific stories that are told in certain worlds uh, I think is really is really meaningful so yeah let's have an underwater game jam we'll put it on itch.io uh, what is itch.io? itch.io is a uh, online um, uh, repository. game repository and community space where people sell, make and sell games together or give games away for free. Yeah, um, a lot of video games, of course, but also plenty of like uh, uh, 
non-digital games that can be told in rule sets. Yeah. Have we uh, have we excited you about playing uh, role-playing games at all? Yeah, <laughs> Laura? No, like, I, I would like to try some of the games that you all have mentioned so far. I don't Sweet. know that I'm going to be getting into D&D. Well, maybe we can get uh, Brian to, to start up a campaign or something. Yeah. So. yeah. yeah. Old roommate, a bunch of like her boyfriend's friend and her like crew play, and so I watched her boyfriend uh, try to like make a campaign. I guess he's like working on it for a month. Yeah. Before they started. Yeah, it's like a whole art project. It's a whole side thing. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to Dispatches from Outcasts, conversations from a creative community. Recorded and produced at Mount Caz Studios in Corvallis, Oregon. Check out the show notes for music credits and more information about the people and the things we talked about. One one clap. One one person claps. <laughs> <laughs>